The Enchiridion is the famous manual of ethical advice given in the 2nd century by the Stoic philosopher Epictetus. Born to a Greek slave, Epictetus grew up in the environment of the Roman Empire, and having been released from bonds of slavery, became a Stoic in the tra tradition of its originators, Zeno and Seneca. Epic Epictetus didn't leave a formal written legacy, but his pupil, Arian, collected his teachings, and posterity now has the the Enchiridion and the Discourses. The first is a short compilation of Stoical precepts, how to live an ethical life. It is essentially about everyday life, and it maintained its popularity through the succeeding centuries, on par with the other principal concise Stoic document from the Roman period, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, who had clearly read it. The Enchiridion is presented here as a translation by Thomas W. Higson. Higginson. Sorry. The Discourses, a much longer text again, compiled by Arian, contains a more comprehensive view of the teachings of Epictetus. The Discourses is translated by George Long. Book Bash! Welcome to our book club podcast, where we pick a book to read each month that we then review. The best part is, you can join our book club! Just read the book with us and give your own feedback on the book and our reviews in the comments below. Be warned, if you haven't read the book and you want to listen to the show anyway, there will be spoilers. We choose the book for the next episode at the end of this one. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Okay, so that's the book. So, uh, yeah, we have uh, with, <laughs> with us, as usual, Josh. Hello. And we have Alex. Yep. And Garner. And Garner. And welcome back to Book Bash. So, Garner, you inflicted upon us retribution for Night Vale in the form of ancient Greek philosophy. Um, yeah. Literally yeah. ancient. Oh, I think this is technically ancient Roman philosophy. But... Uh, yeah, I guess so. But it's, uh, the lines are blurred heavily. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. So why did you choose this book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two reasons why I chose this book. The first one was because, um, I really didn't like Welcome to Night Vale. Don't worry. <laughs> there's plenty of people who did not like that book. Originally, what I was going to put... However, this book was intended to be on the list originally. Originally, it was Hume that I wasn't going to have on the list. Oh. And I was going to put the Dictator's Handbook there. But then I took the Dictator's Handbook off and I put this there. And put Hume there. So, But this was originally intended to be on the list. I had heard it as an alternative to Marcus Aurelius. Laverger told me he listened to Marcus Aurelius. Thought it was interesting. And uh, I'd always been interested in Stoic philosophy because um, I heard it was essentially like the weird version of Western Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see for myself uh, what a Western Buddhism would look like. I'm glad I'm not the only one that felt that way. I mean, 90, I even wrote down 90% is over-explained Eastern meditation awareness philosophy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting is it's actually like, you know, it's still ancient. Mm -hmm. these, these guys were keeping up. Yeah. So I'd, I'd heard of it as the like, if Eastern philosophy um, didn't cut it for you, because maybe it relied a little bit too much on because, then uh, there were, there's a Western version that had less because. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's why I chose this book. Okay. So you chose it. What did you like about it? Oh yeah, what did I like? Um, <laughs> I, actually, I, I I can be fair here. There there are some things I actually genuinely liked about the book. Um, I will say just outright though, in a snobby way, that uh, we just read a primary source. So take that, Epictetus. I read your book, and I'm proud about it. <laughs> yeah. How do I feel about that? Outside things encouraging me. No, um, your, your book on Stoic philosophy gave me the entitlement of status. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. 
I care what other people think about reading your stoic thoughts. <laughs> I feel that, Prestigious. No, um, it is interesting to read a primary source. Um, the main thing I really liked about it, though, is some of the things that Epictetus actually said actually did stick with me. Um, uh, you know, I mean, just sort of, uh, I, I'm just going to be sort of funny about this, but he goes on in this one section, and I might have already talked about this uh, previously, but just for the sake of the listeners, he says, you know, who are you trying to impress? And uh, in the book, just if you haven't listened to it, um, in, in the book... It, everything is just like some guy comes to Epictetus's college or wherever, yeah. and Arian's there to listen on the argument that is going to ensue, and then, then Epictetus like just pretty much just craps all over that guy, right? <laughs> and in one of those, a guy comes and is like, "I really want people to like me, man," and Epictetus is like, "Who? Who do you want to like you?" I mean, honestly, whose opinion do you admire so much? And the guy is like, well, I mean, just like, in general, I want to impress people. All kinds of people. <laughs> and Epictetus gets pretty mad about that in his stoic way. You know, saying wretch and all that. And then he, he says to him, he's like, look, you know, if you had a specific, you know, a person like someone whose opinion that actually was that you actually valued or should value then maybe it might se- make sense to impress them but if you're just trying to impress like the masses it's like honestly man it's like just think about it like are they really worth impressing are their opinions really that big of a deal why would you do this and more importantly if you are holding back from doing something that you actually want to do because of the opinions of nobody's with bad opinions then why why are you holding yourself back and so I actually was just like you know what I really don't care anymore and I need to commit to that and uh, (laughs) because I've been because I actually prefer playing the ranked games in most games but then I always want to practice a bunch ahead of time so I will get a good rank Mm -hmm. and and I thought about it I was like but why do I really want a good rank do I really care about the good rank, or do I just want to play a ranked game because the ranked games tend to be higher quality? All right? But I avoid it because I want this thing. And uh, Epictetus sort of just convinced me that I just need to not give a shit. Because <laughs> I just don't need to give a shit at all. So I actually really like that. There we go. I have other things that I like about the book, too, but that's what I mostly liked. Uh, I mean, I will say that I mostly like the voice actor. I don't know his name. Oh, and I'll get that for you in just a sec. I, uh, I felt he was alright. That would be... Um, Howard B. Morse. Morse I felt was pretty good, except... Um, I really wish that... There are some times when the two guys were arguing. I'm like, who's who? Right. Right? And I really wish... He had um, done a better job of doing who's who. What's really funny is he had a completely different voice if he wanted to whine. Yes. But if there was not going to be any whining, it was hard to tell who was who. And because the arguments were actually somewhat realistic, I, I mean, I actually have to say this is something I liked about the book and also disliked. If if you've read Plato's Republic, a lot of people think that Socrates isn't a real person. I and mean, a lot of it has to do with the way the arguments go down. They're just two guys who happen to both have seemingly really well-prepared arguments, uh-huh. and then they argue. And they're easy to follow, and they're good reads. In this, it's actually... They probably These arguments probably actually happened almost verbatim, because <laughs> a lot of these guys go in there, and they don't, they're not really prepared for the smackdown that's going to happen, and Epictetus doesn't actually have to try very hard to convince them, because they're not even prepared... They don't even have a prepared argument. And Arian just writes it down. So on one hand, I liked it because it's realistic. On the other hand, I'm like, but what about this? But his interlocutor never brings it up. Right. Never brings it up. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's what I like about it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that because it felt like a lot of those uh, um, rebuttals were like sprinkled out in other arguments. You know? Mm. 
like an often case that I felt that was the the situation is like if you wanted a rebuttal to his argument, you're gonna have to wait another uh, two and a half hours. We'll get around to it. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> yeah, I you know based on that, I'd have to say that uh, I could see why it might be better to do this in written form because because all the chapters are like. In this specific case, or in response to these guys, or right. in that argument, right? And if you had a written form, you just have like a nice list of, you'd almost use it like an index or table of contents. But like, uh, which argument do I want to check on again? Yeah, yeah I have to say, and, and as far as Maurice goes, I feel like this guy um, reading the book for us was uh, more like um, a professor lecturer than any other. Um, reader we've listened to. Mm, yeah, yeah. I agree. <clears throat> and I think that's probably why there was less inflection on character. I agree with that. That's my two cents on that. You have anything you like? Oh, boy. Um, gosh. I think the trouble for me in finding positive values, because I, I want to. I don't want to be a total grump all the time <clears throat> on this show. I make an effort to, to find pros and cons. I think the trouble for me is that a lot of this information that was being presented was all stuff I've known before. Mm. Either by figuring it out on my own, or by hearing it presented in other ways, or by other lessons. And so, um, I've just unfortunately, for me, there was just... No new information for me to take away from these teachings other than, like, I guess some minutia on, on Greek culture <laughs> or Roman Romans, culture. Romans, yeah. Um, Maybe some Greek, too. <clears throat> um, uh, I mean, it is interesting to note that this is one of the oldest books we have read, which publication date, according to Wikipedia, is 125 A.D. Yeah. It's hardcore. Which is, uh, quite a while ago. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, it was also interesting to note that, you know, all these problems poor Epictetus was um, trying to fix with his philosophy are still plenty rampant today. Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> like, these lessons are still applicable. Oh. Oh, yeah, about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, and then the presentation, like, the format, you know, boy, it, uh, it's not very robust, I guess. Like, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Like, it's clear that this was not written in, like, an intended one publication. Like you said, it's vignettes of conversation that have literally been, um transcripted i will mention that this is actually not uncommon in philosophy books sure right to just write down arguments right yeah right. i mean so, that's, so that that's actually the norm like, especially for ancient times yeah the historical practice of of the art is to just sit and argue yeah and so it's best for them to have somebody in a corner being like, I'm getting all this. This is good stuff right here. I'm going <laughs> to let them remember what they were saying in the morning when they come off the line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, I guess if I'm scraping for positives, I'd say that um, I did kind of like the peek into that era as far as, like, the examples of problems people were having. Um and uh, the sort of um, cultural setting for his uh, anecdotes. Oh, I just so want to comment on that. So there's this other passage I really like that stuck with me. And it's about it's about um, when I want to do something. Yeah. And, and if you really want to do it. Like, well, if you, you would actually think about, like, all the bad things that come with it. Uh-huh. And he talks about, what if you want to be an Olympian? Right. And all the things you'd have to do. In order to be an Olympian. And then he's just like, and you're going to lose anyways. He's like, you're probably going to lose. There's only going to be one winner. <laughs> so you have to be willing to do all of those things, do all of that training, suffer all of that stuff, and broken legs, and and constantly training, only to lose anyways. Yeah. And then if you are willing to do it, then yes, go and do it. But if 
but if you just want to dabble at it for a little bit and then walk away, this is like, that's, you know, you, you'll just always, uh, in his case, he always compared it to a child. Epictetus, for some reason, I think really just had it against children for some reason. But, uh, I would be surprised if he had any of his own. <laughs> yes, I would be surprised too. Maybe that's why he always brought up. He's like, Socrates had a wife. Maybe he was trying to say something. It's like, why don't I have one? I don't know. But I, I really liked uh, that. And it was a peak, though. What was interesting is that that's actually not too different for an Olympian today. Right? An Olympian yeah. today is going to train and probably suffer injuries and all this stuff and lose anyways. Most of your gold medal winners are teenagers. Yeah. And so it was interesting to have that side-by-side comparison where his is like, yeah, by the way, you know, he's like, this is just how it is. And he's almost talking as if, like, you should already know this. So it's it's almost implied, like, yeah, it's just been hundreds of years of just train Olympics. (laughs) And they were like, and here we are thousands of years later. It's not different at all. Yeah. Um, But I think think that wraps up for me. There you go. The only part that I really liked was that he rags on philosophers all the time. <laughs> all He's like, if you want to be a philosopher, that's a bad choice. Don't do it. Which yeah. is also funny because he lived in the time of Nero where he actually got uh, exiled from Rome um, because Nero hated philosophers. Yeah. So that's it. You liked it because he ragged on philosophers. That's the only thing you liked? Oh, that reminds me. I did want to give Epictetus some credit in his arguments as being, you know, as harsh as they might come off sometimes. Yeah. Is that he had ample opportunity um, to practice what he preached. Um, I I had to, for this book, definitely comb some Wikipedia articles uh, to sort of get some perspective on things. And um, in his life... Like, Epictetus had a lame leg. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he was not in peak physical condition and could have complained plenty about his lame leg. He spent time being a slave um, before he became a stoic philosopher in a college that he helped establish and was exiled from Rome, as Alex just mentioned, um, and had had that experience as well. And so, like, this guy, you know, not for nothing, like... He's definitely given, you know, had get, had the opportunity before a lot of this was written to be like, yeah, life can be really shitty to you, but you kind of just have to not give a fuck. <laughs> That's almost... <laughs> How to sum up Epictetus. Don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am surprised that that is the only thing you liked about it. Is it because that you just hate all philosophers, and so you agree with Epictetus on that standpoint? (laughs) (laughs) No, I just... It was the only interesting part of the book, was that he took that view on philosophy, and that nobody should really become a philosopher. Because I think he related it a lot to, like, your Olympian. Yeah. You need to go through all these steps, and you're still going to fail, and people are going to hate you all the time because you're a philosopher. Yeah, he said, he's like, you're, he's like your life will literally be ridiculed. Yeah. You're going to be ridiculed, and people are going to come and think up insane arguments and come to try to make you look bad. Uh-huh. He's like, that's your life. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, get ready if you want to do this thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with that. However, um... When I get to the negative, I definitely want to talk about how much he was in love with philosophers. Well, um, if I'm reading Alex right, I think we're there. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, springboard, my friend. Yeah, my, my thing. So, things I did not like about Epictetus here. So, like, this guy, for all of his going on and on about how you shouldn't care. There's, like, there's a few things that I was... I found uncomfortable about his philosophy. So his philosophy is essentially about how to be invincible. It's about this invincibility. Like if you can detach yourself from external things, then you can and only manage the things that you are in control of, then you have this invincibility. Nobody can screw with you at all. That's what he is trying to espouse. This is this like this is his sacred cow. And he's like, that's the whole point. That's why his philosophy is the best. And all the other ones suck. <laughs> right? But the chink in his armor, and the thing that I was, I could not understand why it is missing. Now, granted, for what it's worth, the discourses are supposed to have four other books. And they are lost in history. Huh? They're supposed to be eight 
eight extra. Uh, there's eight total. We got four of them, and the other four are gone. So who knows? Maybe he did address it, sure. but he does not indre- address insanity. He doesn't even address addiction. Right. Like his whole thing is about how like you're gonna have willpower and you're gonna have control. Right. And if you have all this willpower and you have all this control, then nobody can screw up for you because you always get to make your own decisions. And he makes it seem like your will cannot be perverted against you. And I'm like, no. We know for sure. He should know for sure that it can be perverted against you. Yeah. I think that has to do with just Roman culture in general. You were always the master of yourself. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, today we think of addiction, we think of insanity, but back then it was just, well, shape up. Yeah, shape up. The bootstrap mentality. Maybe that's my ANCAP paradise. <laughs> Not Somalia. Not that place. It was ancient Rome. No, I mean, I just, I just, it bothered me that he, he wanted to defend it so much. And so, like, it's interesting because he, while he would bring up, like, Zeus and them and God, he was trying, um, he didn't, he didn't make that the crux except for on that one point, except for on that one thing, because he knew that it was not indefensible. So he had to bring in these, he had to bring in a divine being in order to make it so that, no, your will is always good to go. It's always protected and you always have it. You always have at least some control. Don't worry. <laughs> right? No, there, no external force can take away your will. And I was like, right. Yeah, you have to say that because you know and I know that that's not true. And it really bothered me that it's never addressed. I waited the entire book for him to address addiction and insanity. Yeah. um, Another thing I really didn't like is, especially near the end of the book, he talks about, it's so interesting, he goes on and on about how you shouldn't care about other people's opinions, and the main thing you should be focusing on is correcting your opinions. Mm -hmm. I actually really liked what he said at one point in the book, where he says, you know, the the rational person wants to be corrected, and the person who wants good things wants... Um, wants good habits and good opinions and it is a truly evil or corrupted or perverse person who wants to hold on to the bad right and I was like yeah actually yeah it makes sense it's it's, it perfectly makes sense that you want to be corrected Um, but he keeps bringing up that one of the worst opinions you could have is to be worried about these external things and particularly the opinions of other people but then he goes on at length many times about how he's worried about the public image of philosophers. Yeah. And he's just a hypocrite. <laughs> right? He does seriously care about the public image of his institution. <laughs> right? When when he'll he'll later have some part where he's really trying to inspire you and say, Yeah, you know, you, you should put the you should put the water in your mouth and just spit it out and tell no one and let your deeds speak for you only, right? But here he is trying to make sure that oh no, like he, he even has this whole section about how the if you're going to be a philosopher you need to keep yourself like nice and clean and everything wear you know nice good clothes and all this and whatnot so that you can present a good image for philosophers because otherwise people will think philosophy is bad. And I'm just like Epictetus, which is it? Which is it? Yeah. Right? And it drove me nuts that he was a hypocrite. It's it is nice though that in the book when he um oh yeah, that's another thing. He has it out for all these other philosophy schools, like the Epicureans in particular. Oh, yeah. And I could never figure it out. I will say this, maybe it's a good thing. I am definitely going to try to figure out why Epictetus really hated the Epicureans. My understanding cuz I think I looked it up at one point, um but my memory might be faulty cuz it was I finished this book probably earlier, the earliest out of any of us, because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I want to say the Epicureans were more from a school of hedonism. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so they were more about comforts and um, decadence than the Stoics would permit. Yeah. Because that implies a lot of caring. Clearly. Right. So I didn't like 
Um, so, so he's really concerned about the Epicureans, and it is kind of nice that he stops at one point and brings up that, uh, that, you know, go ahead, bring, bring me any philosopher you got, bring me anybody you got, nobody can live up to these standards, right? Mm -hmm. The standards he lays out, he admits that nobody can live up to them. So on one hand, he's protecting himself for later when he's clearly super concerned about the public image of philosophy. (laughs) Right, and 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 like it was really weird. Like, there's a part in the book where he said he'd rather have his head chopped off than cut off his beard, and I know why. It's because having your beard was the sign that you were a philosopher, right? And he would rather die than have someone shave it off. And I was like, but it's an external thing, and apparently also a sign that you were a man. Yeah, well, it's real important to be a man. <laughs> man, <laughs> the way you talk to oh man, if I ever conform to nature. Oh my God! Oh, I wrote those ones down. There are three phrases yeah, this man him. uses so much that they are burned into my mind, and I was even noticing them coming up in other books. Because you, by no means, should you not be free from perturbation. Free from perturbation. In accordance with nature. In accordance with nature. I really dislike the in the accordance with nature thing because always just trying to say like because he says it. It comes up early. He's just like men people are supposed to be rational that's their distinguishing trait that is their nature and so he could just say act rational well but no again this was something i had to look up because by like my second day um tackling this book i I began to forget what he was implying by this because he was Mm -hmm. using it just so goddamn liberally yeah and i was just like what the fuck does he mean by this phrase like it's lost all meaning to me and when i looked it up it the um, several sites I found said it was in reference to divine will. Yeah, it's all about quality. It's all so, about the quality, right? <laughs> and so, like the the it, living in accordance with the natures is according to the divine will of Zeus and how he decided people are supposed to be. Yeah, how you're how you're supposed to be, and 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 then he uses like this theological approach to sort of figure out like how a horse is supposed to be and well, how yeah how, how you know I just think it's. I, I feel like it's a it's a touch bit of a... The problem with theological approaches is that they just reek of confirmation bias. <laughs> right? And it's just... Uh, yeah. uh, so anyways, so I definitely have lots to say about things, stupid ideas, just the same way I did with Piercig. Rest in peace, Piercig. I read your book. <laughs> uh, so j- just like with that, there's just all, all kinds of crazy, stupid... Crap. I mentioned it earlier. I really wish also that the arguments had been easier to parse who said what. Oh, and the Enchiridion. Yeah. Oh, my God. Never start a book with an hour. Like, that was death by PowerPoint in 120 AD. And I think it was more than an hour long. I thought it was 56 minutes, but I don't know. Remember... Remember, I just lost track of a half hour in there. But when, just when a reading of a list. Yeah, I preferred the first part. Huh? Like, it, the first part was way better than all the discourses. People arguing all the time is dumb. Just <laughs> tell me what you're trying to tell me. You don't like it listening to the arguments? No. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was almost like... It, it felt like a book that read the table of contents. Yeah, the Enchiridion? <laughs> Before. Yeah, like, yeah, he read the table of contents to you. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah, so... um. I actually advised other people to just skip the beginning. I was like, it's not even useful to you really then anyways. You could read the rest of the book and then listen to the beginning. I was going to say, it might have been more useful at the end. Yeah, I absolutely like, agree. Here's the bullet points, now that we've covered the basics. But, I will It's like, it would be like a lesson review, maybe. Yeah. There we go. So that's what I didn't like about the book. I, I could go on. So Josh, what didn't you like? Oh boy. I, mean, oh, I have a lovely list in front of me. She's got, she's got her own Enchiridion. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> she's got her own Um Yeah, the three phrases. I'm glad we covered that. But, uh, hey, uh, Epictetus, straw man much? <laughs> Holy fuck, man. Like, I get, you know, we, we have the benefit here at the table of, you know, another 2,000 almost years of, uh, of um, debate history behind us, and so I can I can you know give you some grace in that that your arguments might not be uh, more solid, but holy crap, 
I, just, I'm not willing to give it to him. Back then, that was like oh, standard. Like he he definitely knew what rules he was breaking. Oh, there's so so much straw man. The book is just filled with straw. <laughs> well, there's just there is just like a lot of like where he will just like set up, set up uh, set up a, an argument and then kick it down. Yeah, and I then mean, set up an argument and then kick it down. It, for the, for the benefit of the listener, if you're not familiar with debate, you know. Um, I recommend getting some learning. It'll make your Facebook experience really interesting. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, God. No, but uh, for the straw man fallacy is when you engage, um, or when, when you're exaggerating and misinterpreting or just completely fabricating somebody's argument um, to make it easier to present your own position as being reasonable. But it's unfortunately often dishonest and undermines actual rationality. Um, I have a handy example here I pulled from the internet saying, um, after Will said that he should put more money into health and education, Warren responded by saying that he was surprised that Will hates our country so much that he wants to leave it to defenseless by cutting military spending. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty good example of the straw man fallacy. You know, the second character here is extrapolating, like, way too much out of Will's action or claim, you know? Yeah, Epictetus and, uh, does do this Epictetus quite a bit. does it constantly, and, like, most of his, um, you had a word for them when there's two conversation. The uh, interlocutor, uh, interlocutor. Yeah, interlocutor. His, his arguing. And, and a lot of those were just filled with that. Like, a character would say, like, oh, I have a complaint. And he'd be like, fool, extrapolate, 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 extrapolate. And it's like, whoa, 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 hey, whoa. Well, this is this is my thing, because I started look, trying to look out for the straw man and write him down. Yeah. Because not everything was a straw man. No. I, I actually don't no. think it was that bad, but there was plenty. And, um, but it was hard to tell, like, like if the person had said it, yeah. then it's not a straw man because they said it and then he's going to knock it down. But he <sighs> would just like build up these arguments and yeah. it was clear that it was him who was building up so that he can kick out the legs. And I wasn't sure if he was just trying to be nice, like not just say, <laughs> no, I mean you, you idiot. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, it, but I definitely agree with you. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And then, um. The other thing was just that, I mean, like, frankly, for me, I, one of my problems with this is that to to take his lessons at heart, mm-hmm. like, it, it's funny that in his book, he eventually, towards the late half, starts to chastise people who would take portions of his lecture, but not the totality of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so by the full arc of his argument through the discourses, if you don't believe in Zeus... And subscribe to that divine will, yeah. then you cannot be a Stoic philosopher under Epictetus' teaching. Yeah. Like, you just don't get any farther than that. It is, like, locked with this theology. <laughs> and it's just, I think, unfortunate that, um, you know, that that occurs, because I think there is definitely some good lessons that could be taken. Although, I would be really interested to see if you could bring this man forward in time and be like, look at the world now, after 2,000 years, and people still read your book. We also have the same problems. <laughs> well, it helps some people. Do you think Do you think with his stoic philosophy, he'd be like, so it is? Or, or do you think he'd actually <laughs> break down and be like, just... oh, it's all wrong? <laughs> um, wow, yeah. W- would he lose it? That's pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, that I've, I've tried really hard not to hate this book. Because I didn't want you to win. Um, with your punishment. I was like, no, I'm going to find things I really like about this. And tell Gar, he was wrong. His punishment wasn't hard at all, but fuck. Yeah, I had I a, was not a fan of this one. Yeah, I had a feeling that um, you two wouldn't like it. I'm not sure if Kirby liked it. Um, surprisingly, DP told me that he did like it. And clearly the rest of the world supposedly likes it. Yeah, right. so for quick reference here, Kirby, as we mentioned in our last episode, could not join us today because he is in... Um, Tennessee. Tennessee? No, no I, think, I think it's Mississippi. He's in another state anyway. And um, we asked him to either give us a written or pre-recorded opinion... 
But unfortunately, for whatever reason, he has failed to get this so far. Um, if he does get it to me before I edit and release this episode, we would play it now. So, so that happened. So that either happened or didn't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> at the time of this recording, I have no idea. But one of our listeners, um, one of our more faithful listeners, uh, DP, your buddy, um, he had some opinions. Do you think we should introduce those now? Um, or do we want I, I, I would have to jump onto the computer and read them off. Um, he will. He did say, though, that... Um, <laughs> it's interesting. He came into the book uh, and he said... No, last time you tricked me into a philosophy book with the motorcycle maintenance. <laughs> and now you're going to... He's like... And then and then he said, I was going to skip this book, but I have a long flight up ahead. And then I just need to listen oh. to something. Oh, no. And, but then at the end, he said that it actually wasn't too bad. But he still he still cursed me for um, making him relive his philosophy courses. Well, then I know he's a good friend to you then. <laughs> yeah, DP is DP is a, is an honorable man. He, um, I remember, I was telling him that I felt that Epictetus would make um, a mean rap battler. Oh, <laughs> but he, um, if I remember correctly, DP felt that the um, that he wasn't necessarily that that he was insulting the straw man, yeah, and not the guy. Interesting. Right. And so and so when all the wretches and mans man uh happened, um uh he, he felt that it wasn't too bad. Um so otherwise uh otherwise I'm gonna have to crawl over there and read the notes. Okay. Are you done with your dislikes, Josh? I think I think I got it out. Okay, we are on to me. Oh, I yes. am gonna start out with I didn't even finish the book. You did not even finish well, the book. Well, I had four hours left. I listened and I like would get up and go to the kitchen and just leave it playing to try and I think get it a book done. Club first. No, I didn't finish Thinking Fast and Slow either. I was short by like a half an hour on oh, that one. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But this one was four hours left, and I just could not bring myself to sit through another minute of even trying to play it and ignore it. <laughs> it was so bad. I would also like to mention that I spent the entire month, every time I talked about it, I put book in quotes to Garner. <laughs> yeah, at first I at first I argued it, and then I was, uh, I didn't have anything to say because there was no rebuttal. <laughs> so, so my argument still stands. Uh, to me, this is a book in the same way the Bible is a book. It is pages between Ooh. hardcover, hardcovers. It is something that you should read slowly and with meditation. It is not something that should be listened to endlessly. <laughs> um, ironically, uh, you bring that up because another thing this book inspired me to look up was whether or not the Bible was on Audible. <laughs> I, I think it's over 80 hours. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> you know, I will note that this book was not as long as Thinking Fast and Slow. No. And it was about as long as, uh, it was, I think it was an hour longer than Night Vale was. Um, yeah, it was about that. Yeah. So it, it, was, it wasn't, it, it was not endless. I've actually listened to all of The Wealth of Nations, which was like 35 hours. But yeah, um, so you're saying that the Bible is not a book. I think that is quite contentious. Can you explain what you mean? Why that makes it unbook-like? Because it's, it's, one would argue that though that book know, is one not... of the most important books ever. Almost like the <laughs> almost defining of books, even. Maybe, but again, it's a book only in that it's pages between a hardcover. It doesn't really have a story it's a bunch of things thrown together if they were essays you wouldn't call it a book it would be a collection of essays maybe put into book format which is similar here oh interesting okay okay. yeah so like are you saying like maybe walden pond is not a book either not really okay so 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 that's interesting so you think without a story it's not a book not necessarily without a story but without coherency within it like we've listened to many non-fiction books mm -hmm. but those still have coherency within them this has no coherency it is one guy rambling on and on and on 
Hmm. That's not true, though. Like, <laughs> like it is quite literally a list of, it, quite literally, section by section, describing all the arguments in Stoic philosophy. It yes. is coherent in, in its whole. In its entirety, it is about that one subject from that one guy it, it, with the complete <laughs> narrative from beginning to end, it, even leading up to how he even says near the end in the parts that you skipped, mind you, that he even states that I have been reserving some of these arguments for the end. Yeah, so it is quite, it is coherent. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. I'm willing to let it stand, but I'm just saying that yeah, it, it does have a thread. And I think I don't, I don't share your opinion of uh, what a book is, <laughs> and not either. But I don't know that I could. I am probably define... not making myself clear, but okay. Just, okay. to okay. me, it really does not feel like something that should be sat down and read. It should be sat down and meditated upon. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like where, like maybe you would only do like a section of it, and then you'd think about it. And then yeah. you do like a section of it, and then you think about it almost like you would like with a school, like a textbook. So, kind of. like the willpower instinct has a course that went with it. You think this probably should be more like an activity? Kind of. Than... Yeah, because I, I was going to say this is actually a lot like the willpower instinct in that there are separate sections, and the person even encourages you to just read them in any order you want. Right. But we would agree that they all have a common thread. She even tells you. <laughs> Like, McGonagall just even tells you, be like, just choose any section you want, just read that, stop, do the experiment. But but does have a common, coherent thread, and this book is like the willpower instinct. It just may not include things that you like. I, no, I agreed that a lot of the advice was good, but it was very no-duh. Like Josh said, it's just stuff that you had learned other places. Maybe yeah. it's just that common sense isn't very common, but mm -hmm. well, you yeah. can just pick up a lot of this stuff over time, especially since Eastern philosophy is getting out there. But um, in its totality, right, like the entire all the arguments in totality, I'm actually not so certain that's true. You could be missing sections of this of his arguments, right? But there is some no does absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think a large portion, I mean, of discourses especially is just exercising the point. And a lot of the point is kind of the same point in just a different environment. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I'm lame, what do I do? You stop caring about it. I'm poor, what do I do? You stop caring about it. <laughs> you know, I forgot to mention this thing in my dislikes. I don't even know how a stoic society would function. Right. Right? This is one of, this is one of my big complaints. I forgot, I'm surprised I forgot to mention it. I just, if everyone didn't give a shit, what would they do? It would breed, like, apathy like we've never seen before. It's weird, too, because he, like, insists that you should want good things and to do good works. But he, but it's not clear, like... Why? Like, <laughs> if you had no desire for external things, and you didn't care about external things, like, how would you do them? Oh, I remember why. Divine will. Yeah, yeah, because of divine will. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. God's a sacred cow. Go ahead, continue, Alex. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not an entry-level book, as Josh mentioned. You have to look up Wikipedia all the time to oh, get mm, yeah. who the hell anybody's talking about. He talks about Chrysippus a lot. And oh, I God, finally yeah. had to look up who the hell Chrysippus yeah, was. Yeah, like the first few hours of discourses, there are so many like cultural references like to, to like people of myth and people of station in that era that I was just like, who the fuck are these guys? Like, I don't get the context at all. Like, here, let me give you some metaphor concerning people you've never heard of in lifestyles you never conceived before. And I'm like, okay, let me go look up who this figure was and what significance he had with this situation so I can understand what the hell Epictetus has tried to tell me yeah. through vague metaphor. Yeah. I, had to, I have to completely <laughs> admit that I also had to look up Chrysippus, and I was surprised that I'd never heard of him. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's like, pretty much from what I read, he's the most important... Stoic philosopher. He's the guy that brought the Stoic school to everything that it is today, mm -hmm. or that it was back then. I read that he was a super important Roman historian, and so it was assumed that if you were educated, you also knew all the history, because Chrysippus <laughs> wrote it. Possibly. He was the third head of the Stoic school, like the actual yeah. school, so yeah. um, it was often said that without him, there would be no Stoicism, so... 
So we can blame Christmas. We, we we'll blame, blame him. Christmas. Yeah, that's why I had to bring him up so much. But yeah, I agree. This was not entry level at all. No. Um, I would have much preferred a book that like compared and contrasted maybe Chrysippus and Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus mm -hmm. and gave history within the book, breaking up some of these discourses, breaking up some of these endless arguments. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I know you're going to yell at me about endless again. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm not going to uh, yell at you about Endless, but I did just realize why it might be so intolerable to listen to a book like this. It is a little bit like the internet today, where you just read endless pages of flame exactly. wars. Exactly. And yeah. I avoid all of that. You wouldn't on the call internet. that a book, right? Right. But if you put it in a book. Remember what um, I said about arguing, uh, debating, and Facebook? Yeah. This, 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 these are all the curated arguments about Trump in one book. <laughs> <laughs> we copy and pasted it all in one place. I don't give a fuck. By Techno Shaman. Um, a kind of minor point was that it wasn't written by Epictetus. So you yeah. often have his right. student referring to Epictetus, which was kind of like... An, yeah, I wouldn't uh, say out of body experience, but it was just very weird, it and it weird, yeah. broke it up the flow third of everything. And first often. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. I agree with that. I found that jarring too. Um, and then I guess my final point is we read Zen in the Art of Motorcycle, Motorcycle Maintenance recently, <laughs> and while that turned me on to philosophy and made me want to learn more about philosophy, mm -hmm. this pretty much shut it down. Yeah, I'm like no, I'm <laughs> so done. I do not want to hear another. Philosophical argument for the rest of my life. Oh yeah, it's old man just grousing at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's people. Darn. Well, because that's that's actually the problem with Zen is that he will not make an argument. He won't. <laughs> he refuses. He's just like, I'm going to make an argument, but if you try to attack my argument, I will refuse to do what you guys do because I'm a better philosopher. And like, and so so that's why philosophers hate. Zen and uh, Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, because he refuses to make an argument. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder why the uh, why the art sort of is in decline in this era. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's actually in decline, but it's definitely not held in the prominence it was in Rome. Right? Because yeah. there's still plenty of philosophers, and there's still plenty of philosophy. They call them Yeah, but most of them are just rehashing on, old on the things. Internet. There's not much new philosophy going on. I would contend, but okay. I had, but the, the but the problem would be is that you, the problem with new philosophy especially is that like you said it builds on the other stuff. So it'd be kind of like you can discuss the mathematics that's being discovered today, but right. most of us can't even understand it, right? A lot of the high end philosophy today like requires that you already have three hundred level philosophy courses under your belt. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's really the problem with it. That's why it feels like it's dead, because you already need a philosophy education to even continue it. Well, I mean, yeah. So I guess it's not quote new philosophy. It's just more expounded upon. What, yeah, expounded what upon. Established. Yeah, like there's there's still definitely um, you know, philosophy is still alive, but but it's just not held like in the same esteem. And neither is religion. For, for that matter, right? I mean, the Dalai Lama kind of calls this out. He's just like, ethics is under attack, yeah. right? And philosophy has an entire school of ethics. Yeah. And that's what this book is actually about, right? And the Dalai Lama says, hey, yo, by the way, you know, if, you know, ethics is what makes systems work and we are not teaching it anymore. And philosophy is one of, well, it is a form of learning ethics outside of religion. I want to go off the rails for just a sec because I just remembered something. Um, I remember at one point going through this book that uh, I was reminded of our first ever book club book back in um, season zero, which was uh, oh, the Have Them All. Was it the first one? No. I thought Neuromancer was the first. Was it the Neuromancer? Oh, okay. Yeah. The Have Them All was in there. I think that it was second then. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Have Them All was second, and it also was a lot about ethics from an old culture. Yeah. Um, ironically, a culture not as old as this book's. Um, and it was much shorter. It was a lot shorter, <laughs> and it actually kind of, like, I was trying to consider, like, what about its delivery that was so much more well-received than this one has been? <laughs> 
Because they had stories pointing it out, not two guys arguing. Yeah, because instead of just being arguments, it was like narrative. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would contend actually that a lot of them. Because what was different about them is instead of guys arguing about, like, say, facts or whatever, is they were more situations. He's like, what if you were in this situation, right? Like, like right. one of the very specific ones, and I have them all, was like, you know, if you have your weapon, right, you always must have it with you. You know, in you must be you must be in attendance with your weapon at all times. You can never leave it alone, right? And it's a situation that they're describing, and then they might get into why. Well, what I think is interesting when I compared the two is that the Have Them All has a lot more to do, in, it, in its little micro parables, to do with um, just sort of your general going about business. Yes. And this one is almost entirely about social business. Yeah. There's a lot less like, what do you do when you go stub your toe and you're like, fuck, I'm a fucking toe, god damn it, shit's bad. Never bad, yeah, you know. <laughs> I felt like Epictetus was like trying to like, you know, block off the entire section of Job before it was written. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's just like, no, 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 no. Job is a dumb story. If he was a stoic, the end. <laughs> what do you do if you're that that one lady who gets seduced by Zeus and then Hera tries to kill all the time? What do you do then, Epictetus? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny though is he brings up um, I think Ulysses on the voyage and um, yeah. it's it's another one of his arguments about how you need to make sure that you don't put yourself in a situation that is going to compromise what you want now he, it's interesting he actually makes the past self future self argument that McDonagall does yeah. just then but right. by describing the stories of Ulysses and the siren uh huh there were stories in there, Alex. Still like them. <laughs> <laughs> so, would you recommend it, Garner? I actually, um, mmm, mmm, mmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it pains me to say this, but I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, how's that feel? Yeah, yeah huh? I wouldn't recommend it. The, the reason, <laughs> but the reason why I wouldn't recommend it is, um, it's a primary source, and you could probably get like a textbook about stoicism, and it would probably be like a, just like a lot more digestible. Yeah, you could probably find a much more eloquent person to sum up these uh, bullet points. Yeah, and you could you could read about stoicism in another manner. It's sort of like. You can go and get like the Art of War in its entirety. Now that's like a really short book, but the what like what Alex is saying is like the Art of War without like the extra three hundred pages of context is actually not that interesting, <laughs> right? It's just not. And this book, I feel like, well, I actually felt like it was good on its own. It would be good if you were, I don't know, you had a hair up your ass, or you wanted to read about ethics, or you wanted to read a primary source. But I feel like the reason why I wouldn't recommend it is the only reason you'd read this book, outside of being in a book club and being forced to do it, <laughs> right, is the only reason why you would read this book is if you were aware of Stoicism and therefore had an interest in reading about it. And if you were aware of Stoicism and had an interest in reading about it, I would not read this first. In fact, I would read Marcus Aurelius first. Everyone says it is just much easier to digest. Hmm. However, I'd say if you found that you had more interest in Stoicism after you checked it out, dear listener, then yes, I recommend this book. But I cannot give this a general recommendation. I just can't. Yeah, not at all. Not, not a general recommendation at all. No. Unless someone was like a real nerd about history and or um, philosophy, then no. Yeah, like like I said, it's 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 interesting because I'm I'm sort of saying I absolutely would recommend it, but not not as you know first bite. I wouldn't first bite this. No. Yeah, my recommendation would even even to those people would come with like a handful of caveats and being like, let me let me give you some preparation here, buddy. It's dry. <laughs> it's long. It's full of necessary research. Um, it's interesting that you guys had to do <laughs> you had to do this necessary research because the only person I had to look up was Chrysippus. It could be that maybe I'm just more well versed on the Greeks and the Romans. I don't know, but I did not have to do much research on the guy hmm. at all. So I don't know that I necessarily had to. I just was compelled to. Oh, okay. Yeah. D- 
to give myself more context. Much better for context. Okay. So yeah, Alex, I think you're going to say it's not a book. <sighs> no, I would not recommend it to anybody. I think even if you're interested in stoicism, go get a general stoicism book, not this thing. I I'm I'm really wondering now whether or not you would also absolutely detest in every way, shape, or form uh, Plato's Republic now. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious because because um, Piercig names himself incorrectly Phaedrus. I don't even know how the hell. Like I I really have to say that's actually really damning. Um, I I didn't bring it up in the Zen of motorcycle maintenance, but it is absolutely damning that he did not know what Phaedrus is about. I have to. I don't like a guess on that. Is that 50s? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's fucking high in class? I don't know. But how he gets a doctor in, in philosophy and makes all this money writing this book, but he, but but even like 100 level students know what Phaedrus is. I just... Uh, anyways. So anyways, um, the Plato's Republic is, you know, obviously this famous book, Socrates and all that, and it is mostly arguing. And guys arguing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and Phaedrus is is about whether or not love is good. That section, huh. and it's a whole argument. These two guys argue. Socrates and Phaedrus argue about whether or not love is important. And so now I wonder whether or not you would hate essentially like the most important philosophy book. See, and I keep thinking about it, and this just reminds me of why I hate YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Like, if I want to go learn something, I do not watch a YouTube video because uh-huh. they're going to over-explain. Over and over and over and be dumb idiots. I would rather read a bullet point list of step one, step two, step three. If I need to understand those steps, I will go look it up myself. I don't want somebody shoving it down my throat, something that I already know. Right, after they told you the first time. If it wasn't clear um, by listening to Tangent Train, I love YouTube and I still struggle with this. Like, I learn from YouTube all the time. There are some things that I learn from YouTube. Like, if somebody's particularly interested... Like, there's a woodworking show that I now watch religiously on YouTube. But it's like, he fills stuff with funny things rather than the same thing over and over. You know, you're doing a woodworking project. You can't explain step one 20 times. I mean, my general um, disposition with YouTube is that if you don't like YouTube, you just haven't found the right part of YouTube. Um... But yeah, but I haven't necessarily gotten a lot of people to let me test this theory. <laughs> um, I will say that I have started to win over Garner with this idea, because there are a lot of education channels that I like that I think present the ideas concisely and with an entertainment value as well as um, the core concepts without leaving it hanging too often. Yeah. Um. This is about book bash, not YouTube, but I will just comment on that. I do mostly agree that there is probably YouTube for somebody, but if people in general do not like amateurs taking shots at things, I don't blame them because yeah. a lot of YouTube is pretty wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so if someone just generally doesn't like it, um, because the problem is, is that like YouTube as a whole, I'm kind of like, Ugh, if only there was a better way to get this, this free entertainment. <laughs> if only. And I'll agree, it has gotten better over the years as more people pick it up and more talented creators spend time learning the craft of YouTube. But yeah. If only Google would pay them. I, I just got to say, though, I really love the idea that ep- this book... The discourses is actually just an ancient forum argument curated out all the spam and then put together in a book form. <laughs> it might be better with the spam because then you get smart ass comments to break up the monotony. Yeah, I think it. I think it. Um, it plays because I, ha- I have uh, been leaning a little more toward nihilism, uh, nihilistic principles, as I grow older, and so there's something kind of bittersweet about that that realization you know (laughs) that all this stoic philosophy just like kind of going like it doesn't matter like proof proof is in the pudding man (laughs) we we have not gotten any better (laughs) hey listeners this is josh here after recording this episode garner continued to think about this book and wanted to make an amendment to his opinion so i'll let him tell you about that now When I first listened to this book, I wondered who would want to hear the same tired advice they've probably heard before. However, like with Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, I feel obligated to recommend books that make me think, 
and I find myself thinking about its words often. Too often the message to focus on things you can, can control come from soft sources. If Buddhists didn't convince you, then perhaps the mean spirit of Epictetus will. Needless to say, I've changed my stance and recommend this book to everyone. Well, I plan on giving it a second listen myself. Well, there you have it. Now let's get to picking next month's book. So I think it's my turn to pick books. Yes. Yeah. Um, my suggestions this time, if you're all ready. Ooh, I'm ready. Here comes the pain. Maybe. 1632, Ring of Fire by Eric Flint. Wait a second. This is what the one the second? that Richard has been trying to get everybody to read for the last forever. And I'm uh, sick of what? hearing about it. This guy who won't even <laughs> listen to our book club? Yeah. Yeah, he he's won't even listen to our book club. He's going to try to infect it with his <laughs> with his options. Now, this, all of these are actually the start of series books. They're all fiction this time. They're Ooh. all the first in a series. Um, Ring of Fire is like, I want to say it's like 25 books long or something. And like he collaborates with all sorts of other people. And some of the books later in the series, Richard just told me about, and they're hilarious as hell. Okay. But I figured I'd give it a chance, see where it starts. It is about a mining town from modern day post 2000 America that is brought back in time and thrown into 1632 in the middle of one of the big wars <coughs> and you know how they get along and how they deal with everybody else and how technology affects things and like there's a point where they build an airplane out of an old Dodge truck to try and do something it sounds interesting, mm. but very weird. Hmm. Um, my next suggestion is The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi, which is his new series. I've read a lot of his other works that I really liked, like Red Shirts was amazing, which I would suggest, except I've read it, so Garner would turn it down. Yes. Um, and I read his blog all the time, which is also amazing. So I actually like read while he was writing Collapsing Empire, and you know, I'm going to go work on my book. Um. I would also like to mention that it is read on Audible by Will Wheaton, if that turns anybody's head. I've listened to Will Wheaton read a book. Um, he did Ready Player One, and he did a pretty good job on that. Wow. Cool. Um, the storyline of Collapsing Empire is we are in, well, the human race is in space travel, and they find the flow, which is like this river of faster than light travel. But it's a river. Sometimes rivers change courses. So what happens when the empire that has spread throughout the entire universe no longer has access to this because the river is suddenly changing course? And like their deep-held belief is if one colony falls, the entire empire falls because everything's interconnected and important. So, huh. so this is like um, The Dark Age of Man in 40K, the book. <laughs> Um, and my third pick is the first in the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. It is The Gunslinger. I don't know if you've read it, so I was kind of hesitant, but I've always wanted to read it. It is um, Old West-ish. He's the last gunslinger around, alternate timeline. And it's often described as Stephen King's best work. Um, I've read... I read a lot of his horror books as a kid. I didn't really like them. I've read mm. Eyes of the Dragon, which yes. was his first fantasy book. And I've read out two copies of it. I actually have a third copy because I have just killed the binding on two of them. <laughs> so I am really interested in Dark Tower to see if it is more like Eyes of the Dragon than his horror. I picked up Eyes of the Dragon as a little kid because I was bored one summer. And then I finished the book. There was no time in between. Yeah. Oh, I wow. just read it from start to finish after I picked it up. Huh. It's a very good book. It was so good that I could not sleep. I could not do anything. I just read the whole thing. It was like, it, like it consumed me. And it was one of the best books I've ever read, ever. So I'm very tempted just based on that. Because I feel like his horror books just aren't as interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's... Some of them are good. Some of them, like, actually, like, some of his newer ones better, but I haven't read them as wildly. Mm -hmm. Because my mom had tons of books, and we had, like, every Stephen King published up until 1990. Huh. Yeah, my um, mother absolutely loves Stephen King. I have never read a Stephen King. Interesting. Eyes of the Dragon, man. Eyes of the Dragon. 
I'll take that into consideration. Okay, so we have Will Wheaton reads what sounds... Wait a second. Will Wheaton's reading what sounds like kind of a dark book about a collapsing empire in a sci-fi setting. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And then we have Richard's book. I kind of feel like I'm not going to read Richard's book out of principle because Richard doesn't listen to book bash. Uh-oh. Now, granted, it is Richard's book, but I chose to read it. I'm going to read it with or without book club. So yeah, That might sway me. That might fault, sway me. But it's not... He didn't like pressure me to throwing it at book club. I uh, know, but 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 yeah. it, but it, I like <laughs> maybe I'm just an efficiency monger, but I like two birds with one stone. I really <laughs> like that. Josh, do you have leanings? I um, I actually am torn. I feel like I feel like there are some pretty interesting book options here that I will probably all hate. <laughs> Um, I'm interested in the Dark Tower. It's been recommended. It's been recommended to me by a couple people, um, including you, Alex. And uh, I've never, like I said, never read Stephen King, so I'd be interested to see um, the flavors of some of his writing. I've seen some of the movies based on his writings, and I have varied opinions about those. Um, but. Uh, my only trepidation with that is my understanding is the Dark Tower series is a very long one, and I have a tendency to be a completionist. <laughs> I, th- so I, I think the first me... part of the series was done just as three books, and then other yeah. like mini series were added on top of it. But, um, like uh, yeah, uh, you, how about eliminations? Could you eliminate one of the three books? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um. I have to admit, the the Empire... Whoops, that's not the wrong, ta- wrong tab on my phone. Um, Collapsing Empire probably is the least interesting to me, albeit it's a sci-fi with a kind of curious hook, but I don't know, it sounds like it would just be a lot of melodrama about somebody else's problem. Yeah, I actually almost want to read it just to conclude that I somehow hate sci-fi books. Because all the ones we have done I have not liked. Yeah, we're I definitely don't... not doing that one then. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to do it just to see whether or not I, in fact, just don't like sci-fi books. I don't know. Now I need to throw some more sci-fi in there. Like some old I'm going to pick a Shadowrun novel next. That'll make you hate Shadowrun. <laughs> I, um... The sci-fi one, Collapsing Empire, does have three main characters. One of which is like the Empress. One's a scientist. And I forget who the other This one sounds was. way too much like Atlantis. Okay, yeah. let's go with Stephen King book. <laughs> Let's Stephen do it. King? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that, uh, okay, there's only one other book not as bad as Elantris. I mean, that is worse than Elantris. That was the last book. I'm not doing that again. No. So, next month is The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger by Stephen King. That's all she needed to tell me. It was that there were three characters and one of them was a politician. No way. <laughs> no way. Brandon Sanderson has taught me that that is not okay. Well, um, so thank you so much for joining us for Book Bash, and I hope we'll see you next month with the Gunslayer. Yeah. Sorry, DP. This, the computer's taken up as our clock. Yeah. It's our clock, man. I can't go read your list one the clock. It's too busy recording a beautiful voice. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed Sound effects provided by the F Sound Band and music provided by Ben Sound. Want to tell us what you thought of our review in the comments? And join us next time on 